chapter 2 is where we'll be. And title on this one is In Expectation of Easter, Part 1. All right. So um, we're about one study from the end of the book of Acts. It seems rather silly with the finish line being in view to, to stop. But the season of Easter is upon us, and I want to take the next few weeks to consider um, the season, um, to live in some expectation this season of Easter. And we all know that Easter doesn't have the momentum that Christmas does, right? It kind of takes a second place at at least, um, because the expectation for Christmas starts in like August, Now, doesn't it? Walmart, you know, back in the garden center, they have the Christmas trees and the decorations. August. I mean, half the year we're expecting Christmas. Um, And yet the meaning of Easter is so much more significant than that. We need an expectation of it, I think. It's so easily neglected. Um, Why is that, right? The name itself is difficult. Easter, um, one of the most important and earliest celebrated holidays in Christianity. And yet the name Easter possibly comes from a pagan holiday that celebrates the goddess of fertility, Astra. right? Now, does that mean we all need to stop calling it Easter? It's hard not to call it Easter, but we're not scared. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're not scared that somehow Easter is going to come back for us because we're, we're talking about, you know, something tied to a pagan holiday. The traditions are also a little different. I mean, you ever try to explain bunnies and eggs, you know, and Easter bonnets, right? You ever try to explain that to people? You just kind of shake your head. You know, honestly, I don't know, but I like chocolate bunnies, you know, tied to the goddess of fertility, no doubt. Are we scared of that? We're not scared, right? As long as that chocolate, that cheap Easter bunny chocolate is served with peanut butter, it's okay, right? (laughs) That makes it all right. Um, But these things, the name, the traditions, they kind of cause Easter to get a a little lost for us. But what is Easter really about? What is the resurrection, the celebration of this really all about? It's closely tied to Passover. You remember Passover in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt and God wanted to deliver them. The final plague that hit Egypt, you'll remember, was the taking of every firstborn male that God was going to cause death to come upon every firstborn male in all of Egypt. Well, to give his own people and any Egyptians who really honestly wanted to be a part of it, the ability not to lose their firstborn male child, God initiates a sacrifice. He says, I want you to take a lamb, a perfect lamb. I want you to invite it into your house for seven days. That's something interesting maybe we'll talk about. They would invite this lamb into their house for seven days and they would feed it and care for it and pet it. And they're cute. And well, you know, well, at the end of seven days, there would be a sacrifice of this lamb. This lamb would be slaughtered 
and that was brutal, right? But the blood of that lamb would be placed on the door of the house. And anywhere where the blood of the lamb was present, on the top of the door, on the sides of the door, um, death would pass over, thus the name Passover, celebrating the deliverance from Egypt and the saving of every male child where the blood of the lamb was on the door. And so this holiday that we celebrate, its original purpose was Passover. Well, you know, Jesus became our Passover lamb. He died at that exact point of sacrifice to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that death, the penalty of sin, would pass over. And it's wonderful how Jesus fulfills that celebration of Passover. Um, Christmas is amazing, right? I love it. We remember that God became flesh and lived among us. But without the truth of Easter, of the cross and the resurrection, Christmas is meaningless. God could become flesh and live among us, and that's so kind of him. It's so wonderful. But if Jesus doesn't die on the cross and rise again, that's important, then we're without hope, as wonderful as Christmas is. So I encourage you this year to anticipate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps we need to start a new tradition. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe we need to send a, start a countdown clock on our phones that counts down to Easter morning there, resurrection morning, when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Maybe, but we need to live in an anticipation. And here in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, I think we see a good example of this kind of anticipation. We see two senior saints, uh, Simeon and Anna, uh, who are anticipating and expecting the arrival of the Messiah. Let's look and read verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a man, uh, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That might be worth circling, consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah, you might write in the side there. So he came by the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken by him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. Um, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. 
And this woman was a widow of about 84 years uh, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. So two senior saints here. The first one is Simeon, we see. Simeon's namesake back in the book of Genesis, one of Jacob's child, was the second born son there to Leah. His name means God hears. And Simeon kind of had a checkered past, if you read there in the book of Genesis. It's not this Simeon, it's thousands of years before Simeon. Um, Him and his brother Levi took vengeance into their own hands when their sister was... um, violated by a guy named Shechem. Well, they killed off all the males in the city as vengeance for this act. Pretty intense. When Joseph was thrown in a pit, we kind of get the idea that maybe Simeon had the most to do with it. Because when Joseph keeps one of his brothers back as prisoner, Simeon's the guy, right? Um, And so he's got kind of a checkered past there in the Old Testament. But Simeon here we read in verse 25, was a man just and devout. And he waited for the Messiah. Um, In verse 34, Simeon here, he speaks blessing over Jesus and his family there in the temple. So good guy, right? Um, We also see a a woman named Anna. Now her name here is actually uh, the same as Samuel's mother, Hannah. Right, So it's written Anna, but it's Hannah. And that's a great uh, person to be named after. Hannah, who waited uh, for God's promises there and, and sought the Lord. She was a prophetess here, though, we see in, in Luke chapter 2. She was widowed early in her marriage, and she lived out the rest of her life just worshiping with prayer and fasting in the temple. So like Hannah, somebody who experienced a lot of heartache. Anna here, I'm getting names mixed up for us. Um, uh, Anna really just took all those things and just brought it to the Lord. Prayer, fasting, worship. And she points, uh, look at verse 38. She points there to this redemption, this redeemer even we could see. So in these two who are waiting, we see the promise of Easter, right? Simeon was waiting for the consolation. Anna was waiting for redemption, it seems. And these two really were waiting for the Messiah, the Christ. Same word, right? Christ in the Greek, uh, Hebrew would be more Mashiach, Messiah. But it points us back to Genesis chapter 3. So why don't we all turn, hold your place here in Luke Um, And turn to Genesis chapter 3 because it's so easy to find. Almost the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. God creates the heavens and the earth and it's good. He creates man and that's good too. He creates Eve uh, and the two become a family. But things get ugly pretty quick as the serpent... I have to look back because it's that time of year. <laughs> the serpent, <laughs> you know, comes and tempts them into rebelling against God. And in Genesis chapter 3, God is dealing with uh, the fallout from all 
the sin. Uh, look at verse, uh, how about seven? Then the eyes of both of them, after they did what God told them not to do, were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God. How do you do that? Among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So we see the immediate fallout from sin is that they knew that they were naked, right? So all at once there's this embarrassment. And that's, I don't know. I don't understand that completely. But they understood that they covered themselves. It's one thing that they covered themselves from each other. But it's another thing that they tried to hide from God, right? You see them there ducking in the bushes, you know, as they hear whatever that was like, the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and they hid themselves from God. Well, God asked the question, Adam, where are you? And you do have to understand since God knows everything and sees everything, uh, is everywhere, that God wasn't saying this because he lost Adam. You know, two people in the world, and I can't find the guy, you know. And God says, Adam, where are you? And really the point here is, Adam, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> you never acted this way before. Why are you hiding from me? You used to welcome me. Adam, where are you? What happened? And Adam hid himself from God. And that was sin. It was the consequence of sin. It was a conviction of sin. And here we see the conversation uh, go down in chapter 3. In verse 10. And he said to them, this is Adam's excuse. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And Adam said... The woman you gave me, <laughs> she did it. She made me do it. Now, the excuses go on a little bit, and God really doesn't care so much about those excuses, but God makes a promise here in chapter 3. Uh, notice verse 15, talking to the serpent, the devil. He says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and and her seed, notice that in our Bibles, seed is capitalized. It's a name for, for Jesus here. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God already starts to give the solution to this problem of sin. He says the seed of the woman is going to come. One from your own line is going to come. The serpent will bruise his heel, but he shall bruise your head, he says to the serpent. Now, those words are both the same, but from the context of what this is talking about, Jesus, we understand it's crush. It could be crush. In this case, God says to the serpent, this one who's coming is going to crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. This is the first mention of God's solution of the cross in the Bible. Right after sin enters the world and separation between man and each other, man and woman, man and God, God says, this is the solution I have. I'm going to send a savior. 
Now, this one was known as the Messiah, the anointed one. In Greek, it would be the Christ. So this is the promise that we're looking for here. There's a promise. We can turn back to Luke chapter 2. A promise that God is going to uh, take care of this situation. And I think we see some interesting things of the provision of this promise here in, in, in what we know about Simeon. Uh, notice verse 25. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation of Israel. The word here is parakletis. Uh, it means comfort. Uh, the Holy Spirit would be the one who shows comfort. Uh, same word. Um, but it's this idea of standing up for someone else. It actually, it's a comfort for sure, but it points us to this idea of a defense attorney, someone who stands up for you when you need help. And so Simeon was waiting for this defense, this comfort, this one who would stand up. It's the Messiah, the one who would take care of sin. And, and that, of course, is exactly what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Simeon was waiting for the one who would stand up in our place. Uh, Job waited for someone and needed somebody just like that who could stand up uh, in between him and God. And that's what the Messiah would be. That's what Simeon was waiting for. Um, this season, we need to remember the point of it all, that Jesus stood up for us in our place. He became sin for us. And what a wonderful thing to remember that. Now notice Anna here. Anna, she spoke to those waiting for redemption. Now redemption is a little different picture. Redemption has to do with slavery. Now come back for a second. Redemption has to do with slavery. When somebody was a slave for any reason, whether it was debt or otherwise, uh, they were in bondage. They had a master. They did what their master said. Redemption happens when the price is paid for the slave to redeem them out of slavery. And that really is a picture of what sin is like for us. Romans chapter 6 says that we were slaves to sin. Think about that for a second. That ugly thought of slavery, being in bondage to someone else. And that's the way we are with sin. We're in slavery to the consequence of sin. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23 tells us, is death. We're in bondage to that, but even just bondage to sin. Man, I think we've all felt it, right? Like Paul in Romans 7, who says, the things that I want to do, it's like, I, it's kind of sad that I know this, like I can dramatize this. <laughs> it was my life verse for a while, you know? The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do them all the time. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thank you. Um, <laughs> but we all feel it, right? We've all felt it before when we sin and in bondage to sin. We do the things that we don't want to do. We have the attitudes that we don't want to have. That thing that we say, oh, I never do that again. 
and we do it again. And it just, it feels awful. And we feel like we just can't help ourselves. And we've all experienced bondage to sin. And, and yet God has loved us so much that Jesus paid the debt for us. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the price to let us out of slavery. And apart from Jesus, we are utterly lost. Utterly lost. There's nothing we can do about it. And yet here we see the promise and the provision. And there was a plan. I love it. When a plan comes together, right? And God had a plan. And we flash back to the garden. God had a plan. Is that where the plan came about? In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve did the one thing that God told them not to do. It was rebellion. It was disobedience. And man fell into sin. And life changed. Death and sickness and just tears. All those things came into our vocabulary in Genesis chapter 3. Now check it out. Is that where the plan came about? God said, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> we, we got this problem of sin. Now what am I going to do? I know I will save the world. That's actually not what happened. That's not actually where the plan came about. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We got time to turn. 1 Peter chapter 1, toward the end. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. We'll start. Let's just start at verse 17, because that's what I have. Bless you. <laughs> and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, uh, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Knowing, now check this out, verse 17, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Check it out, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. So we see something here that could get past us, I think, that Jesus was our sacrifice, like a lamb without spot takes us to Passover, right? A sacrifice for us. Jesus, not silver or gold or corruptible things, but the precious blood of Jesus. Man, you could just sit and think about that and smile. The precious blood of Jesus. But check it out. Where did that happen? When was that planned? Verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So you could go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Was that where it happened when God created the heavens and the earth? No. Before that. Before Genesis 1-1, before even the table of contents on your Bible, <laughs> right? God said, 
Here's what I want to do. I want to save people. And the plan was put in motion before the sin, before creation, before anything. God wanted to save us because he had to, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He absolutely wanted to. It made him happy to save us. And that was the plan. And we can get a lot of different things from this. When did God love us? Was it just when we were needy and needed a savior? Sort of, but not really. Was it after we did some good stuff and cleaned up our life? It wasn't then either. It was before we did anything good or bad. God loved us. And he redeemed us. And he stood up for us as a comfort. And I want us to look forward to that this year as we take time. Oh, man, it's like over a week from now. Good Friday, you know. We take time and remember the cross. As we take time on Resurrection Sunday to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death and sin and all these things. What a wonderful hope we have. But let's start thinking about it now. Let's make it bigger than Christmas morning, you know, where you just can't wait to just say thanks, God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for beating sin and death and all these things for giving me new life. So let's live in anticipation of these things in the coming weeks. God, it's so wonderful that you loved us. And it's so good that you cared about us. Not when we were good. But God, before all these things ever came to be, God, you had a plan to be gracious to us and merciful to us. God, you're not surprised by our sin and our weakness. God, you just love us. There's so many things we can be thankful for in this. God, I just pray that we would be truly grateful and celebrate what you've done for us. God, I pray, though, most of all, for anyone here who's never received that gift of salvation, better gift than any Christmas gift we could ever get is what you've done for us, that you forgave us and you gave us hope. You give us a restored relationship with you. So God, I pray if there's any of us that, that have never really come face to face with you in these things, God, today we would. Just personally in our own heart, we'd come to you We'd see that you died for us, our sin. You took our place and redeemed us from slavery of sin. God, you loved us and you offer it to us. God, help us to receive those things in our heart. And again, be totally grateful for all you've done. God, we thank you.